<laughs> Welcome to the Wet Podcast, episode number 29. Yes, this is Eric Marshall. I'm your host of the Wet Podcast, writing education and technology. Today I have Monica Lionel with me. She uh, wrote the book Write Better Faster, and uh, it's just an amazing book. Uh, it was recommended to me by the uh, self-publishing podcast, and I read it, and I loved it, and I immediately invited her onto the podcast because I wanted to talk to her more about some of her great ideas for for writing more words and for spending more time writing and some of the incredible techniques that she has. Um, I also wanted to talk to her about some of her more controversial views, uh, in particularly of uh, editing. So I was really happy that she said yes. I'm really happy to have her on the show. And I think you're going to really like this interview a lot. It's it's uh, full of really great information. I don't know if you can hear those dogs barking in the background. It's my uh, my neighbor's dogs are barking. Anyway, uh, so oh, so before we get to the interview, uh, a couple of really quick things. You can follow me on Twitter at emarsh. You can find the show notes for this episode at ericmarshall.net slash wet. That's Eric with a K, Marshall with two L's dot net slash wet. This is episode number 29, and there you will find links to Monica's book, uh, to her Google Plus profile where she's very uh, active, uh, to her website, and to a lot of other great stuff. So uh, check that out when you can. You can find this podcast, as you know, on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else that you find podcasts. And, and I do appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. I have with me today Monica Lionel. Hi, Monica. Hi. How's it going? Good, 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 good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Good, good. So I have to tell you that um, I heard about you through, um, it was Sean Platt on the self-publishing podcast. He had recommended your book uh, on an episode and I thought, oh, okay, if he's recommending it, I'll take a, I'll take a look at it, you know. And I did and I really liked your book a lot. I, 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 don't, I don't always like to come into these interviews as like, I'm a fan, but I'm kind of a fan, <laughs> you know, in a way. Oh, but so. <laughs> I don't um, have a lot of fans like that so <laughs> <laughs> um when people tell me they want to start writing or start publishing uh the first book i always recommend is stephen pressfield's the war of art and then yeah. the second book i usually recommend is rachel aaron's uh 2k to 10k uh, i love that book yeah your book is probably going to be tied with with hers <laughs> for number yeah. two it's still gonna be pressfield but uh but that yeah. has nothing to do with the actual craft or the actual publishing industry it has it has only to do with inspiration and, and finding and beating resistance and everybody should read it um but yeah. yours has skyrocketed up there because i think that you do a lot of what rachel aaron does with the 2k to 10k invited you onto the podcast and i thought oh, i better read that and i read it and i just have to tell my listeners if you when you buy the book, make sure you read the journal parts as well. It's full of really 
good information and stuff. So I just want to put that out there. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not the first person who has said that. And I mean, I, I don't really blame people for not reading it right away because it doesn't like, you just think, Oh, well, this That's is just like a personal but, um, thing. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think the, I think a lot of the theme of the book is actually more in the journal than it is in the content. Um, because I, cause to me, the theme of the book is, um, yes, you want to write better and faster and you can do all these kind of um, like analytical, you can, you can use kind of the analytical side of your mind um, to improve your speed. But at the end of the day, that's, it's not really the most important thing. So that was, that was kind of my whole, um, that was, that was the journey that I ended up going on. I was like, Oh, I'm just going to go faster, faster, faster. But then by the end of it, I realized it's a good skill to have, but there are so many other things to optimize on. So I right. think a, a lot of that is in the journal and not in the content. Yeah, that does come through in the journal and just the kind of evolution of how you got there as well, you know, and the struggles. Right. So you were using the the method, which we'll get into in a second, to write fiction mostly, right? Correct. And uh, tell us a little bit about your fiction. Well, my fiction's a bit all over the place right now because um, – I'm still building my list or like my backlist, I should say. Not my, like, I, I am also still building my email list, but I'm building my catalog right now. Um, and I expect that to take me another year or two before I feel like I have a solid catalog that has, you know, strategic funnels and all, all that good stuff that we all know we're supposed to do as fiction authors. Um, so my catalog right now, it consists of two pen names. One is Monica Leonel, and that is a young adult fantasy and sci-fi pen name. The other is Maddie Raven, which is more um, romance and uh, not erotica, but erotic romance. Like, it's still very story first, but, you know, there's more like sex and curse, cursing and all that, all that stuff in there. Um so the Maddie Raven pen name, I've built out a little bit more. I have eight titles under that. Um, um, and one, it's two, across two different series. And one of the series has six books in it. Uh, and th they are novella length, but it's still, you know, it's still six titles. Um, under my Monica Leonel name, I have quite a bit less. Like I do have two, two uh, series there, but they're still they're still very much at the beginnings, basically. So um, that's something I want to work on this year is building those series out, uh, continuing with the Maddie Raven stuff. But you know, basically, given given the two pen names, it was simply that Maddie Raven just sold better. So I focused on that uh, pretty much all last year, and that was really like what I did last year. You you kind of went where what was selling more, which which makes sense. And when you say you were building your backlist, you were basically trying to get as much written as possible, right? So that you have basically things for people to buy, right? Right. Yeah. And I I mean I'm still working on it as well. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not I'm certainly not done. I would definitely like to have a catalog of you know thirty to forty pieces before I before I do a ton of marketing because it really it's a case where you know, with fiction, your, your content is, it's all, you know, it's all low, low price products basically. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're not charging, even if you're charging $10 a book, like you're still, that's still a very low cost for a product. 
um, in terms of, you know, making money online in general, where you have like $500 e-courses or whatever you might have or coaching packages or whatever. Um, so, so for that to work, you need to have, well, A, you need to have a lot of content so that, you know, someone enters your funnel and there is, you know, 25 to $50 worth of stuff that they could get um, just from getting into that one first book. And then the other thing you need is you need a bigger audience, plain and simple. Like, I don't know if you've ever read um, 1000 True Fans. Mm -hmm. It's a blog post by Kevin Kelly. I mean, I, I believe, and I think this is, I think we're seeing this in the marketplace right now that to be a successful fiction author, you really need 10,000 true fans. Like, I just think the number is larger because that's how the math works out. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the midst of building, building that catalog. And then I want to expand. So then after I build the catalog, um, then I'm going to focus really hard on building my email list and, just uh, sending sending people to the funnel, but right now it's mm. still it's still very much building the funnel for me. Okay, and when you say funnel, you're talking. I'm not sure if all of my audience will know um, what you're talking about because I have a fairly diverse audience. But you're talking about the where where someone might enter um, into like finding your writing. You'll have you have like maybe the first of a series free um, free offers for getting on your email list, right? And from there, people will begin hopefully to buy the rest of your catalog. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm talking about like a sales funnel or a product funnel where they they come in through an entry product and then that entry product um, leads them to your higher, like either your higher price products or in with fiction, there's not really a higher price product. It's like, it's just like another small product, basically. Right. It's more products, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's for kinda, sure. It's it's definitely a tough business model because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so you've got so you've got all these uh, titles. I mean, to me, that sounds like a lot. I know you want more, and you're working towards about thirty. So when did you um, when did you start uh, kind of well? When did you start publishing? I guess uh, these titles that you have out right now. So I started publishing in 2009, actually. And the first thing I published was a nonfiction book, and it was called Social Pollination. And this was before KDP was like, this was before anybody was doing this in fiction or even really nonfiction. It was when self-publishing really had a, a stigma still. So I, what I did, I was focused on the print book. Um, for social pollination. And I went through, you know, I set up my account on lightning source. Like I kind of did things in what would now be considered a backwards way where, mm -hmm. cause, because most authors now they focus on the ebook first, but for me, the ebook was very much an afterthought because it just wasn't like, it wasn't available. You could not really yeah. even get an ebook onto the store. Um, Except on Amazon, but you, but like iTunes, like ev everything else, like it was, you know, so that was, that was my first foray into self-publishing. I did a fiction after that, I started writing fiction and my very first fiction book I published in 2011. And it was, um, it was a fantasy novel, urban, urban fantasy novel, young adult. It was 125,000 words, so like wow. way too long. Um, it was it was actually underwritten. Like I, I don't know if your audience is familiar with the concepts of like underwriters versus overwriters. So an underwriter is somebody who doesn't who like needs to add to their draft to fill it out. So that 125,000 words it sounds like a lot, but it was underwritten. 
meaning that like really it needed to be 250,000 words to be, <laughs> uh, you know, to be like a well-told story. Yeah. So I made a ton of mistakes, but um, since then, you know, I've kind of, so first I pulled, I did end up pulling that book off the market and I'm in the process of kind of re-releasing it as like a couple books because it doesn't like, it just doesn't work <laughs> as like this long tome. Um, but yeah, like, it, I mean, for me, it's been, it's been a really slow process uh, I've been at this for, this is really my sixth year being at it. It's my second, no, it's probably my third, must be my third or fourth year, third, third year being at it, like somewhat full time where I'm, you know, my other income, it was freelancing. Um, and then before that I had like full-time jobs and everything. So, you know, I was just kind of dabbling on the weekends. Um, but yeah, like for me, it's been a very long process to like get, like a kind of figure out how to do all this stuff. Um, B try to work on my productivity, which, you know, a, a lot of the, the two books you recommend basically like that's productivity right there. Right. Yeah. Like that's, and that's what kind of an author needs before they even get into this is like, you've got to deal with your productivity shit. Like you've got to get, you've got to get that done. Dang it. Just, <laughs> it's okay. Like it. <laughs> just messed up on that clean tag. Um, but you got to get productivity stuff sorted out. Um, and right. then, and then um, moving, you know, moving forward from that, like then you build your catalog, then you get your marketing stuff sorted out. Like, it, it, so to me, it's a very long process. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know some authors are being more successful quicker, but for me, I've, I've been working at it for a while now. Yeah. I think that the, the authors, uh, there are a lot of authors who are, uh, some authors who get successful quicker and you hear them on, on podcasts like these. And I always wonder just, I mean, they're kind of the outliers, I think, you know, I think that the, the more typical, um, example of somebody who succeeds is somebody like you, who, who puts out a lot of product, a lot of good product, yeah. right? And and keeps yeah. at it and goes through the whole marketing thing and all that stuff. And I think that's uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but so so you've been at it about six years. But it is, I think is it fair to say that the bulk of the things you have out now were um, published more recently? Yeah, they were almost like almost all of it was published in the last year. Okay. Um, I I think uh, I th- I don't know if I said this in the book, but basically I had. Like at the end of 2013, I had maybe four or five books out and that, that was essentially published. That was like one per year since I started was essentially what that was. And last year I had eight books in a short story. (laughs) So it was like, you know, just, you know, just, and the, the time that I did this experiment of productivity was towards the end of 2013. So it was pretty much like. Once I once I kind of figured out that productivity stuff and kind of got through my own fears and demons on that, then I started just producing a lot more. Um, so, I mean, for me, it was a huge, huge gains. This year, I've published three books and a bundle already. Um, so I'm hoping to really even expand that more, like go past the eight books, potentially. Like I would love to actually double that eight book record that I have for myself um, and do maybe like 16 books like that would be huge for me Um, and again these are these are smaller books too like uh, some of them are still novellas you know I do want to have a couple novels this year but like I've mostly been working with novellas Mm -hmm. how long would you how long would you say a novella is my novellas tend to be between 25,000 words and 30,000 words okay 
Yeah, it's about that's that's what I think when I hear novella. I think about thirty thousand, twenty five, thirty. So yeah. just just to kind of you know kind of clarify. But you said three books in a bundle this year, and you know just to be clear for people listening in the future, it's April of two thousand fifteen, <laughs> right? Yep. So yeah, so we were, we're yep. only a quarter of the way through the year. And you've right. got uh, three in a bundle, and you want to you want to hit sixteen. So you're you're really working on on production. Yeah. So yeah. So those all came out in March. So my next. So it's basically I'm doing it by quarter. So I had four out, you know, in the first quarter, and mm-hmm. so I want to get four out in this quarter. So June is kind of my next deadline that I'm looking at. So I want to have another four to put out, and I am counting bundles. To be fair. And that's not okay. that's not really like more writing, right? It's it's <laughs> right. really just like another product, I would say. But um, so I am kind of counting that uh, as part of my production. But all right, let's we'll give you a pass on that. We'll let you we'll let you count that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's more than what a lot of people are doing. So, uh, including me. <laughs> <laughs> so, to be honest, um, so so let's talk about the project. So um, that you 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 mentioned a few times, and it's it's basically uh, what you describe in your book. Um, so you have you've written this uh, this book, which is part of your Prose on Fire um, series, right? Which right. is your uh, a series of nonfiction yeah. books, right? Yeah. So uh, so my website for all this like writing stuff and you know, whatever else like vlogging or whatever. Um, but like, you know, this online stuff is called pros on fire. And the, the reason that I picked that name was really just the idea of moving quickly. So mm-hmm. prose is, you know, prose is fiction or, um, poetry or whatever, but it's really just the idea of moving quickly. Um, you know, kind of like burning it up quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just, just focusing on success. So that that's kind of what I hope that the title conveys. Um, it does. And then the growth, yeah. So then the series is called Growth Hacking for Storytellers, and the the point of so I guess I guess we'll start with growth hacking. Uh, what like what is growth hacking? I think there are a lot of different definitions of it, but to me, what it means is finding those small tweaks that create big results. Um, and that's that's kind of what my my focus of the series is on. So with the first book, you know, write better, faster. What I found was that the things that like the smallest things that I was doing, just like very small changes were producing, you know, twice as many words in the same amount of time uh, or three times as many words, you know, when I combined a couple of those things, but it was really like these small little details or small little tweaks that were producing it. It wasn't like, it wasn't anything. It wasn't like I had to massively change anything I was doing. Um, and one great example in the book is that anyone can try right now. Like you could go do this today. Uh, was basically to use the Pomodoro method while you write. And the Pomodoro method is twenty five minutes of writing um, with full focus, no distractions, and then and you put yourself on the timer, and then five minutes of a break. And that, like, when I found that method and when I started using it, that just increased my words very quickly. It was like I went from, like, 900 words to, like, 1,600, 1,700, 1,800, 1,900. Like, you know, every session I was getting better and better. And that was a huge, huge 
uh, jump for me. Like it, it was not incremental in any way. And it was a very, very simple idea and very simple process that created a huge return. Yeah. Isn't that weird? You're talking about setting aside a certain amount of time. I think the default is 25 minutes for a Pomodoro. Right. Um, I know you, yours are longer now, 40, 45. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you can, I mean, I think you can adjust the numbers. Yeah. And, but yeah. something about setting that time aside and setting that timer, it lets you focus better. Right. Yeah. It, it really is. It's, it's kind of like when I found it, I really felt like it was a miracle to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, you know, because I was writing slower, but I felt like, wow, this, like this thing is so easy to do. And I just like, it just immediately produced results. And that's what I, that's what I think growth hacking is about. So, you know, I, the first book I talked about it in terms of writing faster, but like the upcoming books, I'll be talking about it in terms of, um, you know, marketing or like, like a small tweak to the way you do your email list could create like exponentially more signups, like that mm-hmm. type of thing. Or, you know, small tweaks to the way you outline could create um, exponential word of mouth. Like those are the types of things that uh, I'm hoping to tackle in the next books. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Uh, the the Pomodoro. I'm still stuck on the Pomodoro thing. It seems like yeah, such a stupid gimmick. Like, cause, you know, I read it seriously. I read I read I read about it before. I think a lot of people have heard of it. And um, and I'll put links in the show notes um, at ericmarshall.net slash wet for people to. I'll link to these things. But um, it seems like such a stupid gimmick. Like, oh yeah, whatever. I'm going to set a timer for 25 minutes. And I started doing it. Um, I, I teach and I started doing it with grading, which is something I absolutely loathe. I hate grading. And yeah. I flew through my grading, no problem. 25 <laughs> minutes at a time. It's the craziest thing. And then I yeah. started using it for writing, and it really does work. And and, um, Absolutely. and I have stopped using it and I have stopped writing. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh. yeah. Yeah. I find myself, I've, I'm really the same way where if I don't have the structure of, you know, that type of thing, unless I'm really in flow, but yeah. you know, if it's something that I'm not that excited to write, I mm-hmm. always go back to the Pomodoro method and that kind of gets me back into the flow and gets me excited to write it. Uh, and it, it's just, it's really like, it's just one of the greatest techniques. And also I always, when I'm talking to people in conversation, I always give people that technique to get started with. Yeah. And they're always like, yeah, I tried that and it really worked for me. <laughs> so I right. think it's something that everybody, like it, like it doesn't matter how fast or slow you right now doing, doing it, it's going to improve you. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just it just works and it works it, just, it works for a lot of things it works for cleaning up your house it works for i mean it works yeah, for a lot of things exactly. to be honest i have a um yes. extension on my on my computer it's called uh it's called strict workflow it's uh, a chrome extension and it's a pomodoro thing and basically when you click it for whatever preset amount of time 25 minutes in this case it turns off it doesn't let you access any like social media or um it has like a list of sites it won't let you go to for that 25 minutes and the only way to circumvent it is to shut down the browser you may have to shut down the whole computer i'm not sure i think you have to at least shut down you have to do a lot basically to shut it down and so it doesn't let you do anything you know, except for maybe like like rudimentary stuff, and then when that's not enough, I um I use the program Freedom, which shuts down your entire internet connection for a predetermined amount of time, and you can't stop it unless you restart the computer. <laughs> this is this that's is what true. I do yeah, to true. avoid distractions. No, but, those tools are great. Yeah, those tools are so great. So I great. Mean, yeah. They they it really is. You have to put up those barriers um, and just make just make it difficult on yourself to yeah. do anything else besides 
you know, sit there and write, like make it boring to do anything else besides Uh, sitting there to write. And then you can get yourself excited to write. I like, yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, you know, I used to tell myself, well, just don't use the internet then, you know, come on, Eric, you're an adult, you have uh, self-control, you know, and all this. And I, I resisted using these techniques, Pomodoro or, or using these programs for a while. And finally I said, you know what? I have to know myself and I know myself. I know how distracted I get. And I think that's part of your, that's basically your project is knowing yourself. And you started by tracking everything. (laughs) Right. Basically. Yeah. It's a great first step for anything, right? Like any, anything you want, like right now, um, one of my weaknesses is knowing exactly how much money I'm making with Mm. what I'm doing. It's a huge weakness for me because I, I don't like need the money. I'm in a very, I'm in a very lucky position where my fiance makes all the money we need. So like, I'm not, I'm not having to hit, you know, specific bills or anything every month, but that makes me also terrible at tracking my money. But, you know, tracking, tracking is what is making me more aware because it really is when you start tracking things you you become more aware of them and then those metrics improve just for the sole fact that you are tracking them. And that was a huge strategy that I used to increase my writing speed is I just started tracking all my numbers, you know, start time, end time, um, how many words I got, what I was working on at the time, just any any like any little thing, even like whether I was hungry or not, like weird things like that. But all of that data it ended up, it just helped me improve very quickly on this one, you know, this one specific metric of writing faster. And uh, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, like another thing I said in the book was collect more data than you think you would ever use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you find yourself not really looking at specific data points or not finding them valuable, then, you know, stop tracking them or whatever. But Anything you can think of, you know, track that and that will help you improve your process and specifically for your process of writing faster. Yeah. And, and you know, just at the very basic level, you were tracking words written, amount of time it took, um, time of day, right? Um, yeah. I do the same thing. I have a spreadsheet that um, it has – I don't have it in front of me right now, but um, words written – Time started, time ended, and it computes for me, you know, words per minute, words per hour, and all that stuff. And I have goals in it, and it tells me how many words I need to reach my goal. Um, I have a goal to write a million words this year, which yeah. um, I I don't think I'm going to make it to be honest with you, but but I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm still giving it a try. But um, and then I, there's a free form thing where I can write. You know, I was feeling tired today, or I did this or that, <laughs> and then I decided after reading your book, and because I'd already been doing that, I read your book, and I was like, well, I wonder what else I can track. So I'm tracking um, now. I'm going to start tracking how much coffee I drink, when I drink it, um, alcohol as well, um, the nights I drink alcohol. Uh, did I take a nap? I'm going to try to track everything I can and see if there are any correlations at all. Uh, because like you said, you don't know if you need that data, but if that data is important, then, then, you know, right. Right. Um, And that's, that's what I'm going for. And I found, I think you have, you found some things about yourself. I found some things about myself that I didn't know, you know, um, for me, for for me, it's, um, I've always been told that a lot of successful writers get up in the morning and write. It's the first thing they do. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And I did that for a while and it works pretty well for me. But what I found was with the goal, I started writing in the afternoons a lot more, just kind of, I guess, naturally. And as I look back, 
my best days so far have been right around 2.30 in the afternoon, which I would mm-hmm. not have guessed. I would have thought, no way. I mean, that's when I'm grading or getting ready to teach or whatever. Um, so that, I mean, I learned that about myself. I, uh, that's about the only thing so far. And then I also learned that I'm <laughs> not as disciplined as I need to be yet. But what about you? What did you learn? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's really awesome. Um, one thing that I learned, so, you know, I learned, I learned a number of things as well, similar to you, but one thing that I learned, well, so one interesting thing that I think might apply to a lot of people is I learned that when I wrote in the morning, even if it was just for 25 minutes, I found that throughout the day I wrote quite a bit more. So this was interesting. Um, it's, I think it's interesting for people who have jobs, because a lot of people mm-hmm. are like, well, I have a full-time job. When I come home, I'm too tired to start writing. And I completely get that. Like, mm-hmm. I was very, very similar. Um, but what I found, and I've talked to a number of people who have implemented this. I, I found that if I wrote for just a, a couple minutes in the morning, mm-hmm. that it was like in the evenings, I wanted to write. Because I still mm-hmm. was thinking about you know, what I, what I had written in the morning and I kind of wanted to finish that up or finish that thought and talking to people with full-time jobs there, you know, I gave them this tip, I guess you could say, and they, they implemented it and they are kind of saying similar things. Like I'm getting that same feedback of, you know, those same people who are like, I can't write in the evening. They'll write for like even just 10 minutes in the morning or 15, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it might be they find that by the evening they want to finish that loop and they're, they're like just slightly more motivated and it's enough to get them writing a little bit more. Oh, that's interesting. So So it kind of primes the pump a little bit. Exactly. It's, it's a primer. Um, and it, and another thing is it even helps people write on like their lunch break at work or, you know, Mm -hmm. just things like that. Um, but so then one thing that I found that was very specific to me is I'm kind of like an afternoon napper, like around 3 p.m. I completely shut down. <laughs> and like like um, even one of my friends this weekend, she she has a meeting with me around like around this time. But it goes to like 3 or 4 p.m. typically. And like she's like, yeah, right around 3 p.m. You like totally shut down. Like your brain is off. You cannot like your sentences aren't coherent anymore. And I realized, you know, for me, like I wanted to fight that. I wanted to say, okay, I need to like stay more awake during this time. It's still like during the work day or whatever. But I realized like, yeah, I should just take a nap. Like, yeah. like why yeah. not? Like, you know, I work for myself now. Like I should take a nap and mm-hmm. pick up in the evening, even though that's not something that is recommended, you know, it's yeah. recommended right during the day, you know, during your eight hours and then in the evening, turn everything off and spend time with the family or whatever. For me, that just, it just doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I'm a napper. Like I love that little afternoon nap. It really, uh, I'm a it really kind of recharges me. Yeah. I'm a napper too. I love a nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't try to fight it though. <laughs> I never have, yeah. you know, <laughs> I love taking a nap. Uh, usually it's, uh, right around now <laughs> about one thirty, but that's yeah. uh, okay. Um, but, uh, I feel, I feel okay today, but yeah, no, I think, and I, I, I don't know. I feel like a nap is kind of a reward sometimes and sometimes it's, it helps, but I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm one of those like 15, 20 minute nappers. I can do the 20 minutes and be done right. and psh, I'm back without doing the yeah. whole like 90 minutes that some people do. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm t- I'm definitely that as well. Like yeah. if I can if I get that little nap in, I'm so energized for the rest of the day. I like, know. It's like I can go to work again almost. Exactly. It's great. Yeah. So don't That's don't great. don't fight that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have the luxury of, 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 I guess, of being able to nap, uh, you know, it, it you yeah. know, depending on uh, on schedules and whatnot, and other people. Um, one thing I don't let myself do very often is write in the evening, and some of that's for uh, just to spend time with the family and stuff. And I think some of that's because I have like this limiting belief, like, oh, I can't write in the evening; I'm too tired I, or whatever. And I don't, I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to try, to, you know, writing more in the evening or late at night and stuff like that to see how that works. Because I used, I used to be a late night writer. And now I haven't been doing that and just, I want to do it just to track the data, just to see if, if I write at times that I've historically told myself I can't write or shouldn't write at, will I, will I in fact have a better time, be more productive, et cetera. Yeah. Which I think is something that you recommend. I mean, I would say just try like 25 minutes, you know, cause I, I like, the way I think about it, even if you have a family and, you know, your kids, um, like, obviously, you don't want to take time away from them. That's not fair to them. That's not fair to your wife, you know. Um, but I, I would say, you know, if you after they go to bed, like you can probably find 25 minutes oh, yeah. or f- 15 minutes or even five minutes and just just kind of get started. And even if you only get another 250 words that's that's gonna add up yeah. um, and I found I found myself doing that a lot during the challenge is I would do I'd say okay I'm really tired I'm just gonna do one pomodoro <laughs> like only one and it's only 25 minutes and I would get another I would get another like 1600 words in that time Wow um, which is huge right like that's like that adds up so quickly Wow um, <laughs> yeah that's a lot. People, yeah. You know, and also, you know, especially using the Pomodoro, like the focus, um, and you're kind of like tired, so you want to like rush through it and kind of mm-hmm. just get it done and feel like, you know, and that, I mean, that really starts to add up. So yeah, I would great. say, you know, same as like, like morning and evening, like if you can just do a couple minutes, then yeah. it's, it, it's valuable. Yeah, and I found that when you go back, I'm sure you you agree. When you go back and look at your writing, you don't you can't tell what you wrote in the morning or the evening or when you were tired yeah. or whatever. It's all the same, right? Yeah, it, it really is. It's yeah. so weird. Uh, yeah, you would think that would affect you, but it it like doesn't. Like yeah. I I can never tell in my draft what I was you know when I wrote what I wrote. It's only if I have tracked it, like if I tracked like which chapters I wrote when that I couldn't tell, but. Yeah, sometimes great things happen when you're very tired, and sometimes terrible writing happens when you're very like awake and focused. Yeah, so yeah. it just it just kind of depends. So you you do. I want to just touch on this briefly. Um, you use dictation for a lot of your writing. Correct. Yeah, um, dictation. Yeah, dictation is a difficult one because. It is what I use and a lot of, you know, a lot of the gains that I've gotten. So I was able to go to about 2000 words per hour without dictation. But for me, my ha- my hands and my fingers would just get so cramped, um, especially because I'm working, you know, I'm working on this for multiple hours a day. Like if you're only doing 25 minutes a day or an hour a day or whatever, your hands are probably not going to be killing you by the end of it. Um, but I was doing like 
three hours a day, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes even more. And it just, it was too painful. Like I just couldn't keep up with it. Um, So I ended up turning to dictation because of the pain. But then of course, very quickly, I realized like this actually shot my word count up again. Um, And the reason why, so the reason why is pretty simple. Uh, Most people can only type at about like 35 words per hour is the average. I was able to type at 70 words per hour, but not for long periods of time because my hands would cramp. So I, what I found was that I was trying to type my story, but I was limited by my physical, like I was limited physically because of my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that is, I would say you don't even need dictation unless you're feeling that. Like, unless you're feeling like my story's coming out way too quickly and I can't keep up with it, like, physically. Um, so that's why I turned to it. But then once I did, you know, you're like, most people are able to speak at 100 to 150 words per minute, uh, which is a huge leap. So even if you're speaking at half of that, then you're still, you know, you're still at like 75 words per minute. Like, that's, that's going to just increase. Like it's, it's just math, right? Your speed's increased. (laughs) It's just math. Yeah. Yeah. It's just math. Like it's just the way it is. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I use dictation quite often. Um, I don't use it all the time. It really depends on what I'm writing. It depends on how much, how much I have in my mind of it. Um, the other thing I loved about dictation was that it separates your writing and editing process a lot easier than typing does. Um, and I would like when I would dictate, I wouldn't even be looking at the, you know, I wouldn't even be looking at the screen. I'd be like, you know, walking around, pacing, whatever, um, looking at like my beats or my outline um, and kind of working off of that and not even looking at the input that I was getting or the output that I was getting. Yeah, um, so-, so that was another that was another interesting thing. Um, the problems with dictation, though, are that it is quite it's it's a little bit more costly and it's a bit more of an investment and it doesn't really work for everybody like not everybody finds it comfortable um i i feel really lucky that i did find it comfortable and that i was able to make it work for me but i'm also an extrovert like i'm a talker (laughs) so if you're not a talker it's probably going to wear you out um and you know, again, it's just, it's just who you are. Like you've got to know yourself and know what's going to be faster for you. Yeah. It um, seems, also, go yeah, ahead, go I'm ahead. sorry. I was no. just going to say, it seems totally foreign to me. Like I'm a talker, but just dictating a story or even like nonfiction seems kind of, um, it just seems foreign to me, which is why I'm going to try it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause I think, okay, like I want to try to figure out everything that I think I can't do or shouldn't do. I'm going to do it and see if it works. And I have, a, I, cause I have a, a long, uh, car ride, uh, 45 minutes to an hour when I do, I do tutoring and teaching and it's just kind of far away. And, um, I thought that would be a good time to use yeah. for dictating while I'm driving the car. Um, oh, but yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. If I can get that working, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I mean, it's worth a try, I think. But I think what I like about your advice and about your um, about your book in general is that your advice really is you're saying, here's what I did, here's what works for me, and here are ways that you can figure out what works for you. Right. You know, none of the advice that you give, at least the, the, the sense that I get, is that none of it's like, you should do this. You know, your 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 advice seems to be like try this, try that, track it, see what works, find what works best for you. Yep. 
and I like that. And you kind of give a lot of tools for doing that, including like the spreadsheet or using uh, Trello, the, um, what'd you call that yeah. project management software? I use Trello and I've been using it for about a month now and I, I love it. Um, yeah. uh, just, you know, anything to uh, organize and motivate and right. But it's all about getting the data and having a process down. And, uh, and I think that's, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only thing that I really recommend for everyone is track for a little while. Yeah. Like that's that's like the only thing that I would say. And I also say the Pomodoro method because it's mm-hmm. so easy, right? It's like so you easy. don't need any yeah. extra equipment or anything. <laughs> right. You just need to time yourself for 25 minutes. Yeah. But yeah, like everything else is kind of like this might work for you, but it might not and it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and also like, you know, be where you are like your writing speed even if you can even if you could double your writing speed or even if you could hit like 1500 words when before you were only hitting 700 or or 500 which i have heard from people or even if like you don't increase your writing speed but you increase the number of hours you write like you're able to write you know three times what you are in a week which i've also heard from some people mm-hmm. it's still like like you should be really happy with that because you've d- like you like you've it, like it's a small it's you've done the small tweaks and now you're gonna have double or triple your output by the end of the year yeah exactly I think that's, kind of, that's kind of the message of the book is you know like compare like beat yourself basically don't try mm-hmm. to beat other people like try to beat your previous self yeah, I like yeah, I like that a lot. My my two biggest um challenges I think are the first one is just button chair, you know, getting into the chair to sit down to write. That's that's my biggest challenge. Um the other challenge is on the other side of the of the process which is editing and revision. I hate editing. <laughs> I hate editing yeah. my own work in particular. Um I don't like revision. I I have a couple projects right now, more than like I have three projects right now that are stuck in the revision slash editing stage. And uh ugh. <laughs> so yeah. and I think that you like reading your journal, you had the same problem for a while where you, because you were focusing on word count, you you had a big backlog of stuff you had written but you hadn't got around to editing yet. Yep. So, would you like to talk about your editing process for a minute? Sure. Yeah, so I mean the first thing I would say for I'm going to go back to the button chair and then we'll do editing. Yeah, absolutely. So the button chair thing, I think I think the thing that people should work on if they have that issue. Like a lot of that comes from, it either comes from not scheduling, it either comes from not making, it basically all comes from not making space. Like whether that's either in your calendar, in your mind, like mentally, like you just, you don't have space because you have all these other things that you have to, you know, do or worry about. Like you're just trying to juggle too many things or like even physically, like you just don't, like or like emotionally it's like you like you're too worn out you're too exhausted and a lot of people if you have a day job like a lot of day jobs in the US they're kind of designed to like take as much of you as they can mm-hmm. right like that's just kind of how corporate america is and i i'm not i hate to like diss corporate america but it's they're really trying to get as much out of you as possible like they're trying to exhaust your mental capacities your physical capacities and even your emotional capacities and to get your butt in chair you've got to find a way to refill those 
like so many of us are we're operating on empty like all all the time and we're kind of soothing that with you know food or internet or television or whatever it might be but you've got to you've got to kind of find uh, like creative space like you need you need to do things that will fulfill like refill your energy creative energy um and you know even like and there's all sorts of things like it could be that you take an hour at the gym it could be that you take 30 minutes to read it could like there are certain things that fill your tank and there are certain things that you can spend your free time on that empty your tank or like either empty your tank or leave your tank empty like to me, internet surfing is something that leaves my tank empty. Mm, yeah. Like it, it never, it never re-energizes me really. Yeah. It just, it just kind of, like it's just something that wastes time. So as many of those things, I mean, and each individual needs to figure out like what those things are. I can give you a general list, but that's not really <laughs> fair to because like some things may energize someone else. Yeah. You know, I've never gotten um, up from uh, surfing the internet aimlessly look at the clock and like wow that two hours was well spent man i feel energized to you know, <laughs> yeah, tackle exactly. the day that's a good point yeah. monica that's a good point <laughs> yeah yeah so like for me the things that energize me um one is that i try to move for 20 minutes in the morning and i do it's like kind of like a lazy girl's workout like i'll do like yoga for 20 minutes so it's like mm-hmm. it's not even about like burning calories or anything it's really about just like having having a couple moments to myself and like yeah. respecting you know the human need to move mm-hmm. um, just like it's like a very basic thing but just doing that actually really re-energizes me um taking walks you know going to a coffee shop and just having a coffee and just sitting and people watching no oh, i love that uh, drawing in my journal you know mm-hmm. like those things i know they're kind of they're kind of like silly, but it's like taking that little time for myself always re-energizes me. And then it's like, I want to get back to writing. Um, and that, that always helps me. Yeah. I find so, walking helps a lot. Yeah. And like a lot, I, writers, yeah. a lot of writers, a lot of walking. And yeah. that's a, that's a very good one to start with. Yeah. You and I live in the Midwest. Um, you're in Chicago. <laughs> I'm in, I'm near Detroit and, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're about four hours from each other and it's, it's finally getting nice out. So walking yes. is much more appealing now than it was maybe a month ago. Oh, <laughs> so, which is which is totally. nice. I find meditation helps for me, although it's not moving, but it's just you know clearing the mind, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Meditation, yeah. but it is it's not moving, but it is clearing space, yeah. right? It mm-hmm. clears space in your mind, and then like you can't you can't really you can't bring something in without pushing something out. Like you've got to make space to be able to bring more things in. So if you're trying to bring writing into your life, you've got to start just making space in your life. It's yeah. like clearing out a room and then your room is empty and you can start putting, you know, putting something new in it. But a lot of people like they want to bring something new into their life, but they don't kind of like clean out the old. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that, you know, I mean that metaphorically, yeah. like, uh-huh. yeah. like, on the mental level, emotional level, physical level, everything. But um, yeah, I would say if you're not getting butt in chair, like just like clear an hour where you do nothing yeah. and see what see what fills that hour, um, and definitely you know try not to fill it with 
like television or <laughs> whatever is like not inspiring you. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I have the same weakness when it comes to television, uh, especially yeah, binge, binge, binge watching. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. yeah. That's what I did yesterday. It was uh, yeah, I watched a couple of things yesterday in the afternoon. Then I felt bad about it, and then I thought, well, maybe tomorrow. I'll, you know, you know how it goes. It's one of those right. got to portion it out properly. Um, so uh, when you when you do get to the to the editing stage. Um, what do you what do you generally do with your own work um, to to edit? Well, so the first thing I do, um, and I th- I don't know if I talked about this in the book or not, but I try to get my I try to get my draft to like compile, and I don't know if your I don't know if your audience is familiar with that word. Um, basically, it comes from the way the way I first heard about it was through software engineering mm-hmm. and I was I formerly was a software engineer but it's the idea that with a program you um you want you want the program to be able to run and it's not going to run if it has syntax errors is basically <laughs> like if you have yeah, if you right. have like commas in the wrong place or you know parentheses like little tiny things will make a program a software program not even run on your computer like regardless of what it says but it won't even run um, because you're not able to compile that code uh, so with the draft what I try to do is I try to make it I don't try to make it good I try to make it readable like I just try mm-hmm. to make it so that I could to another human and they could understand like what the sentences say so that type of stuff is like grammar any issues with the dictation where like it got like something completely wrong um like i want to fix those sentences um missing you know like if i'm missing paragraphs or like half of like if i've only done like half of the draft and the other half is not really sensical um or you know doesn't doesn't make any sense so i try to get it to I try to get it to something that someone else could read. And it's not about like, it's something good that someone else could read. It's just something like someone else can understand what I'm trying to do here. Okay. Um, so that, that's kind of my first step. And then the second step is I give it to somebody else. Like I'm, I'm very much like, I don't want to edit my book into oblivion mm-hmm. um, because I'll, I'll sit on it forever. And I'm like you, like I will kind of like never do it. Mm-hmm. So the very first thing I do is I just send it to somebody else yeah. and say like, edit, you know, edit this. Like I know it's rough, but <laughs> edit it. Okay. Like, and, a, um, like a friend, I, a critique partner or. Yeah. I, I mean, I've done it several ways. I've done it where it's with a critique partner and they will, you know, kind of rip it apart. And if you have, I mean, for me, I'm fine with editing other people's stuff. It's just my own. Same. So that worked really well for yeah. me. So if, if that's you, then you can save quite a bit of money by having a critique partner that yeah. like, you know, that you trust. Um, you can also, I definitely would not send it to beta readers. So don't do that. But um, yeah, critique partners or even just an editor, <laughs> like, uh, like a, in the, in the last, um, in the last year or so, what I do is I send it to essentially a, a ghost editor is what I call it. Um, it's somebody that I send it to them. They're allowed to make any changes they want, like directly into the manuscript. Um, because it's really that if they see a mistake, I don't want them to tell me it's a mistake. Like if they're like, okay, this character, you forgot to give them a description. Like for me, that's, like it's basically like for me that's like okay i already knew that i forgot to give him a description <laughs> um so just give him a you know just fill out that like two sentences or whatever okay um 
And then what they'll do is they'll send it back to me. And what I've found is that the draft is kind of like cleaned up. Like they, like I give them, I give them free reign and it's always someone I trust very, you know, trust greatly, of course, not. And they're also like a great, good writer as well. Um, But yeah. So my thought is instead of having them, instead of having them give me more work, (laughs) I'd rather that they fix my manuscript because, uh, because traditionally an editor, they tell you what's wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's just like more and more tasks for you to do. And that's going to make you resent editing more, but they just fix it and then they send it back. And then at that point, then I can do the edit on it because it it looks fresh to me. Like I already know that, you know, a lot of the issues they found are like, they're already fixed for me. So it's really, it's really just, you know, if I see something that I would have fixed it differently, then I can change it. But otherwise, like I know it's already kind of done. Yeah. Um, so that that's a relationship I have with my editors. I think that for everyone, like a lot of people are kind of uh, icky about that. Okay. Like they're like, oh, you're not really writing your own books. Like I guarantee you that like ninety ninety five percent of it is still my draft. Um, yeah. Once so I it's get it back. so you call it ghost editor because it's kind of like a cross between a ghost writer and an editor, but it's more editing than ghost writing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I've heard um, of a few other people's playing around with ghost writing in, in particular. And, and uh, yeah, I know how, like you said, some people are kind of, like you say, icky about that. That's an interesting relationship. I, I like that because like you said, it, it ends up being, being fresh again to you. And I was kind of tiptoeing around something you have in the book about editing. And I, and uh, I kind of warned you about this before, but, um, but you, your view on editing um, is a little different than what you hear over and over and over again in the, uh, especially in the self-publishing um realm where people are like you have to get a professional edit you should get two or three professional edits you should you know um that's you hear that everywhere all the time and towards the end of the book you say um i'm going to quote here if you don't mind uh it became obvious to me that readers care much 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 more about reading an amazing story than they care about reading perfectly stylized sentences um right and and so i found that at first, I was shocked in a way because it's just kind of you know it's almost like scripture that you need a professional editor and pay a thousand thousands of dollars or whatever. But then I was really refreshed by it too, you know, because I've read a lot. I've read a lot of self published stuff, and 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 it varies in quality for sure. And I know people who do go through edits and still have problems, you know, uh, grammar or structure or whatever, um, and. And so, and it goes both ways. You know, you write really clean copy. I also write very clean copy. Um, There was a question in there somewhere, but I don't know know where it went. I'm happy to kind of elaborate on this more. So again, I I would consider this almost a growth hack if, if you're willing to be open to the mindset, because the reality is that for eBooks, um, Okay, and actually, this just came. This came up um, over this weekend at the Colonist Summit, um, and I'll, I'll kind of explain that later. But basically, for an ebook, if you're looking at it, like, like let's say you're kind of a young writer still, which I consider myself very much still at the beginning of my writing and my craft. Like I, I can write a good story, but I'm not, you know, I'm not George R. R. Martin, or like, <laughs> I haven't hit that level yet, and I know that, and I'm okay with that. Um, and I think that's where most of most of most of the indie authors are. They've been writing for several years. They might have, 
previous experience writing. Um, but yeah, like really, if you look at what's selling, and this is specifically what's selling, not what's winning literary awards or whatever. Um, <laughs> but if you're looking at what's selling, what's selling is great story, and that's that comes from story architecture. That come that's a and that's a specific piece of craft is story architecture and you know great characters all those things. Um, what's not as what's not selling as well is kind of a crappy story with really pretty prose. <laughs> like it's it's just not selling. Like it right. doesn't get the word of mouth. So if you're looking at eighty twenty. And if you're looking at kind of leveling up your craft, like the way to level up your craft is to focus on one little part of it and like go crazy deep into that for, you know, three months or something. So like, like, let's say you want to get better at characterization, like buy a bunch of characterization books, go into that. And that's like you, that's like you leveling up your craft for the year or whatever. Um, And then next year, you know, pick something else, go into like world building and, to like try to level that up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the the um, the line editing type of stuff is kind of at the bottom of my priority list because I know it's not going to increase my sales significantly at this point. Um, like right now, story architecture, like me improving my story architecture is going to increase my skills significantly more. Yeah. So because of that, um, I I do I definitely. You know, like I said, I work with someone else. They fix a lot of errors um, that are in my draft. I I am also like a very, I'm very good at like putting together a pretty clean draft to begin with. Um, So that's, you know, if you're not good at that, then definitely hire a proofer. (laughs) Um, But then, you know, then I also, I proof my own books and sometimes my fiance also proofs some. Um, But like both of us are very, very good at that. Like we can proof like we're very good at proofing. So we're able to catch most of the mistakes. Uh, there's probably a couple that are still in there, but you know, it's not enough. It's not enough to get like bad reviews or quality issues or anything like that. So, so yeah, like basically my thought on my thoughts on editing are um, definitely, you know, I think you can work with someone. I think if you're starting out, you're better off working with someone who can help you improve your craft and then I also think, you know, in terms of what to improve first on craft, definitely start kind of at the high level at improving your story, yeah. um, you know, and then the four kind of the four areas I think are um, plot, theme, setting, setting slash world building and character. So, like, I would definitely start with character actually out of those four, because if you have great characters then people will, you know, continue to buy your books as well. Yeah. And they'll forgive, um, yeah, like they'll forgive some of the other stuff if you have good characters. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, come at it with the, with the re you know, the realization that you can't do it all now anyway, like you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to create this perfect book, especially right out the gate. Like you're, you're going to need like five to 10 years to be able to do that. That's just, that's reality, right? Like we yeah. all, like we all know that. Um, so come at it as like, what, what do I need to, what's going to get me the greatest gain now? And to me, it's not a copy editor or a proofer. Um, <laughs> that, that's just, that's just what I think. Okay. That's, uh, that's kind of refreshing in a way. Uh, and yeah. controversial, very controversial in a way too. Uh, no, <laughs> yes, that's- it's very controversial. So let me follow up. Um, 
so how this relates to the summit is there was a guy who does great. He does like he produces audiobooks basically, and he has a company. Um, to his his point was if you're gonna focus on anything in terms of craft for audiobooks, you need to focus on dialogue, which is very much a focusing on your specific prose. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you're gonna if you you have to know your goals, um, like that actually when he told me that that. You know, for audiobooks, the prose actually matters quite a bit. Like, you want it to sound eloquent. You want it mm-hmm. to roll off the tongue easily. You want the actor to be able to perform it well. Um, that all is about, you know, your essentially your line editing. Yeah. So that that kind of made me, you know, realize like if there is a book that I think would do really well on audio that I do in the next couple of years, like I'm gonna definitely hire like a line editor for that to help me improve that part. Okay. Don't you feel that? Um, I feel like if you're dictating uh, your, your story, it would probably, it seems like it would be already kind of more conversational or, or ready for audio in a way. That's just my instinct. I don't know if that's true, but yeah, my dictation, my drafts for dictation people. So my editors can often tell if I dictated something versus, um, Versus the other way. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. When I write, I tend to, I tend, again, I tend to be an underwriter. Uh. So like I start with like my dialogue and then I add like descriptions and then I add some narrative summary. Like I kind of like build it up that way. When I dictate, it kind of all comes out at once because I'm more of a talker. Like I'm, it's just like a more natural (laughs) thing for me. Hmm. So I'll go through like the character's emotions. Like I'm kind of like I'm a little bit less um, less in that editing mode, or um, so it, it they mm-hmm. they have in the past been able to tell. I think that those two things are merging, um, just right. as I become a better writer. Yeah. But yeah, like the way I built the way I built my story varied varied um, when I was kind of like when I was doing that experiment and first starting out. So yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're thinking about audiobooks. Um, you're probably thinking about print. And the good thing about ebooks is that, like you said about the, if you have an error, if if you publish and there's something wrong, you can fix it. You can re-upload yeah. a file and it's fixed, no problem. Yeah. Um, I talked to uh, Simon Whistler of the uh, Rocking Self Publishing podcast uh yeah. back in episode 12 of this podcast, and he said something similar. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna put out. My ebook, and then if I, have, you know, when people say, "Oh, you messed up on this page or whatever," then you can fix right. that before you go to print, and then you're thinking Absolutely. ahead to audio as well. Um, mm-hmm. Some listeners might be confused about the summit. Do you want to really briefly explain the summit that you mentioned? Oh, sure. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so the summit is something that the guys at Sterling and Stone hosted this weekend. Uh, it was so Sterling and Stone. They have the self-publishing podcast. That's probably the place you know them from. Like any audience member would probably know them from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, Johnny, Sean, and Dave. Their site is sterlingandstone.net. And they hosted this uh, writer's conference that had 24 attendees. It was kind of an artifact of a project they did last year called Fiction Unboxed. Um, so it ended up being a slightly different thing. But it, it was basically 24 writers came together. And we were, we were just talking about self-publishing books you know, that sort of thing for two days straight, um, kind of morning until night. Like a lot of us stayed after, um, even though the, the event ended at six each day, but a lot of us stayed after and we're just sharing ideas back and forth. And it was just, it was actually a really great place to just get 
get ideas for everything. Like like someone there was doing audiobooks, for example, and they gave us a lot of tips on audiobooks that like I would have never known, the audiobook market. Um, someone else was doing apps. Um, so they had kind of a, you know, like a a sideways perspective on the indie publishing hmm. um, industry. And then some people were doing like Facebook ads. Like there, it was, it was very diverse. Uh, so, so yeah. So this insight about the pros came from that weekend. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, just wanted to clarify that. So people know what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. So that's cool. And those guys, um, they have the self publishing podcast, which is a great podcast. And if you want to hear more about them, you can go back to episode four of the wet podcast where I interview those three guys back yep. in September of 2014. So, um, cool. Yeah, cool. And you work with them, right? Yeah, I'm. I do uh, copywriting for them, and I'm also writing some fiction for one of their one of their lines. Okay. Uh, yeah. What is next for you? Uh, hmm. I get. I mean, I guess I would say, like, next for me, I would say is really just still building my still building my list uh a big thing that i want to tackle this year i d- i want to keep maddie raven going kind of because there are eight titles and you know it's selling whatever uh so i want to keep that going and have some releases there but the biggest thing for me is to build out my monica Lionel pen name and to to just to just have more titles there because it is it is kind of weird to uh be a be someone online and like be talking about all the stuff, but all my work is like not even findable by, <laughs> by for most people, you know, like right. most people don't really know about this other pen name. Um, so like a lot of my work is not even under my name. And that, that is kind of, uh, that kind of, that's just something I want to change this year. Long-term yeah. definitely. I want to do, well, I'm, I'm, working on my storytelling through fiction and through eBooks and all this stuff. But long-term I, I do want to work in television and movies. So that's kind of my, my 10 year plan. Like by the time I'm 40, that's, that's where I want to be. I want to be in television um, and whatever form television takes on in the next like web series, right. whatever. Like I don't, we don't know where it's really going to go in my opinion. So yeah, wherever that totally. goes, but I want to be doing, you know, live action. Um, that sounds great. And that, yeah, that's, you know, so for the next couple, I mean, my first step is really to become a best-selling author like that <laughs> and build my build my fans that way. Um, the next step after that is to enter like audiobooks. The next step after that, maybe a web series. Uh, you know, it's, it's really hard to say script writing. Like those are all things mm-hmm. that I want to do after after the best selling author <laughs> once you get this best selling thing out of the way <laughs> right yeah like, I, want, I do, I do want to get to the point where you know i'm i'm doing well in ebooks and print yeah um, so that makes sense so you have a you have a sounds like a good plan and so if people um want to find you what's the best place to go well i think for writers the best place to go is probably prosonfire.com and I, uh, I post there, I don't post there every Thursday, but I post regularly on Thursdays. I also have an email list and through the email list, you can catch up on my last posts and, you know, interviews that I've done, like, like this one with you will probably go into my email list. Okay. Um, 
and that, you know, just, you can kind of catch up and get to know me slowly through the email list. So those are the two places. I'm also on Google plus and I'm, I'm just Monica, like plus Monica Lionel. Like it's just my name. Just your name. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, on there, I, I kind of update just more often, I would say there. And it's just like little tidbits. Like today I posted a little bit about the summit and I just gave like, I just gave a list of, you know, books that I'm going to check out um, coming up, like things that I've signed up for. So those are like little tips that I got from the summit that I'm going to now dig in deeper to. So a um, little stuff like that. I, I post, you know, kind of like my half baked blog post on there as well. And some of those <laughs> good end idea. Up becoming, yeah, some of those end up becoming full fledged blog posts, but some of them are just kind of the smaller ideas. Uh, so I'm definitely over there too. Yeah, you're one of the more active people I've seen on Google Plus. Actually, I like Google Plus a lot, yeah. um, but you're one of the more active people yeah. I've seen. So I would I would also recommend that people follow you on uh, on Google Plus. I'll put links to all these in the show notes. The pros on fire and to your Google Plus and and to get people onto your email list as well, which I uh, highly recommend that people do. And I'll put links to that in the show notes at ericmarshall.net/slash/wet. You can find all of it there. And. Uh, you can find ways to get a hold of Monica. This has been a great conversation, Monica. Yeah, thanks. I definitely, I mean, I hope I was able to give your listeners some tips on really on how to write better faster, but also, you know, the editing stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Free, um, free them up a bit from some of the, <laughs> some of the um, typical, typical uh, advice. <laughs> well, I, I always like that kind of stuff. I'm kind of in that kind of class myself, so I love it. So yeah, I think it's going to be great. I think people, Thank you for coming on. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me.